And welcome to our Jackson home. I'm here with Barry Cooper. He's the executive director of JOCOA, which is the Jackson Area Council on Alcoholism. But they do a lot more than work with people who are alcoholics. Um, Barry, uh, for this show's going to be a little bit different. Normally, we have someone on and we talk about their background, we talk about their organization and what's next for them, and that's kind of it. This show's a little bit different. We've, we've had Barry on the podcast before, um, and Luke and Jim interviewed him very early on in here, and you can find that link in the show notes. Um, today, Barry, we're going to talk about kind of what's happening now. Um, and, and so it's kind of a, this is a little bit different. This is kind of a more of a news topic a little bit, um, but it's something that's affecting our city, and, and Jacoba is working with it. So... Let's start by giving everybody kind of a little overview of what JACOA is. Absolutely. Uh, first, thanks for having me in today. Um, JACOA is, um, like you said, the Jackson Area Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependency. Um, founded in 1964 uh, by three individuals who saw the need in, in our city uh, back then. Primarily back then it was alcoholism. Uh, and so um, a local businessman a Jewish housewife and a physician uh, came together uh, and saw the need and um, realized that there were people in, in Madison County and Jackson that, that were suffering from alcoholism and needed help. And they started what was called a, a true council in that they would travel uh, to people's homes, uh, just much like physicians would do back then, uh, make house calls. And uh, they would travel to people's homes and they would uh, counsel with them. Uh, about their alcoholism uh, and they did this for a, a short while and uh, as you can imagine back then uh, Jackson was very spread out mm -hmm. and um, it became pretty cumbersome for just three people uh, to do that and so uh, they opened a small office uh, in what is now the New Southern Hotel uh, and people would come to them uh, and they did a little bit of advertising um, and people would come to the New Southern to, to the office there and um, receive counseling for alcoholism. Um, and there would be support groups as well. And uh, the influx of people became so much that at one point they realized in the, in the late 70s that, you know, uh, we really need to open a facility uh, that's dedicated to, to, serve, uh, to serve these people. Mm -hmm. um, and so they bought our current property uh, at 900 East Chester, uh, which used to be Parkview Baptist Church. Uh, bought that in the early 80s um, and um, outfitted it for what it is today for a treatment center. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, back then it was a lot smaller. Uh, they made some additions kind of over the years, and it really became what it is now um, in the 90s um, with the facility being set up for uh, residential and outpatient um, and from there it's just kind of taken uh, taken on as um, residential treatment program uh, we're licensed by the state of Tennessee Department of Mental Health Substance Abuse Services uh, 41 beds uh, nine of those are dedicated for what we call social detox uh, someone that's been uh, medically detoxed um, they can come in um, social detox just consists of a couple of days of um, pure rest for them uh, mm -hmm. before they're integrated into the groups on individual counseling. Um, and then we offer 
what's called a full continuum of care. So they can come in for treatment and uh, we, we offer what's uh, called short-term treatment, uh, 28 days. And they can um, start an intensive outpatient, which is where they live in their homes. They come in three days a week for, for counseling. Um, if that level of care is not uh, appropriate, they need more care than that, they could be stepped up to the residential um, unit and it's where they actually stay there at mm -hmm. uh, Jacoa. And um, from there, once they've completed treatment, if they don't uh, feel comfortable going back home, they're not ready, mm -hmm. uh, they can uh, transition into one of our uh, two transitional houses for men and women. We have one for each. Uh, those are, we really like for people to, to stay there for six months, okay. uh, but they can be longer if they choose. Uh, and a lot of courts mandate uh, clients to step down into transitional care for a year or more. Gotcha. What percentage, um, what are the types of uh, dependencies that you deal with? Um, of course, alcohol um, and, and all substances. Um, you know, we see, we're seeing a lot now, especially in our state, uh, and you're seeing a national trend in uh, opioid abuse. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. In fact, um, opioid abuse overtook alcohol um, back in 2014 uh, as the most abused substance in our state. Uh, and that's something we're seeing here in Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, so um, we do treat that. Um, and we also are what's called co-occurring capable. Uh, co-occurring is uh, when a person has an addiction to a substance uh, and a mental health um, disorder, such as depression, um, bipolar. Uh, so we're able to treat both of those with uh, addiction being the primary. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we do you know, have the capacity to treat both. Well, Barry, let's head into our first break, and when we come back, I want to just, let's kind of walk through the process of how someone gets into this situation, how and what, it, what it's like to come to Dakota, um, and kind of look at that specifically from the opioid side, because like you said, in 2014 it became the most prevalent thing in our state, which is, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, but we'll talk about how someone gets there afterwards. So, so between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson. And we're back with our Jackson home. I'm here with Barry Cooper, who's the executive director of Jacoa. And Barry mentioned at the, and you mentioned at the very end of the segment that in 2014, opioid, opioid abuse became more prevalent than alcoholism in our state. It did. Um, what are opioids? Opioids are, are um, drugs such as oxycontin, hydrocodone, uh, mood altering drugs. They're usually given for pain, pain management after surgeries. Um, a lot of people uh, will get those after a dental procedure. Um, and so um, they block pain receptors. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times you'll be surprised. People uh, that have never had any kind of addiction issues will go in for a routine surgery. Um, and we hear this so many times from, from clients that leave. Um, 
kind of delve into, you know, how did you begin um, using and abusing uh, the opiate? And it's always, you know, I had a, even, even this morning I had a client that left. Um, I had a back surgery, uh, was working on a job, uh, got injured, had a back surgery, uh, was taking the prescription as prescribed. Uh, the pain was uh, unmanageable, uh, taking three a day as prescribed. So I upped my dosage to five a day. And that five a day became uh, over a short time, seven a day. And so they began self-administering, you know, mm -hmm. and um, their tolerance builds up for that medication to where they have to take more and more uh, in order to dull the pain. Um, and, you know, over a course of time, you know, it becomes an addiction. And so their body's used to having that medication at that level, whether it's 10, 10 a day or 20 a day. Um, and in order to, to experience that pleasure uh, and the numbing of the pain, they, they have to have that level of medication in their body. Um, and of course, it changes the brain chemicals uh, to such that um, their body physically craves that, that drug. Um, and so, you know, people will doctor shop, people will uh, turn to stealing them from family members, mm -hmm. uh, go through medicine cabinets um, and take them. Uh, they'll go to the street, buy them off the streets. Now, this, so the scary thing to me about this is that this is something that someone had an injury and the doctor prescribed this to them. Mm -hmm. And it, and it can very quickly, because a prescription you were saying is maybe 30 days. Right. Can, within those 30 days, become addicted to the substance. Can, absolutely. And I'm, I'm assuming this crosses all sorts of cultural and economic boundaries. Uh, sure. Yeah, addiction, addiction knows no, you know, it doesn't just affect one uh, culture or one race, one gender. It's, you know... It, Nurses, physicians, lawyers, construction workers, housewives. Um, we, we've seen and tra treated all those. Yeah. And so once you've, once you've got to this point and, and people stop prescribing, because you've run out of people that right. doctors you can do, what, where do people go right. from there? Um, a lot of people will try doctor shopping. They'll try to go you know, to another physician. Uh, whether it's in their own town or they may travel out of state, you know, a lot of you, you may have read stories or heard stories of people uh, traveling a state or two over to go to another, you know another physician or walk-in clinic uh, and try to obtain prescriptions that way. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will um, turn to the streets, um, unfortunately, and um, try to get you know buy pills on the streets. Um, and that's that's really when it's turning into they're paying you know twenty dollars, fifteen dollars for one pill, mm -hmm. um, um, and it's just incredibly costly. And, and heroin comes in at that point too. Isn't yeah, it? we've seen a lot of that. Uh, seen that across the state. Um, people get tired of paying twenty dollars for one hydrocodone pill, so uh, they turn to heroin. Uh, heroin is readily available. Uh, it's cheap. A lot cheaper than paying, you know, a thousand dollars for for these pills, and uh, so people turn to heroin, um, and um, 
we're seeing a lot of, uh, nationally, you're seeing a lot of heroin abuse, uh, statewide as well, but you're seeing a lot of heroin abuse, and you're seeing a ton of overdoses. Mm -hmm. um, actually, 139 people, that statistics, 139 people a day die of drug overdose. Um, that's kind of the national average. Uh, and that's not from any one mm -hmm. uh, drug, yeah. it's just you know, dive and overdose, 139 people. So, so someone's got a prescription, they started abusing it, and maybe they've, they've started doing heroin or doing more, um, more pills that they're getting other ways. How does someone get to the point where maybe they're referred to somewhere like Chicoa? Um, a lot of times they um, get in trouble with the legal system. Mm -hmm. You know, they get a charge, um, they get picked up with possession, um, you know, that type thing. And so the legal system steps in and says, you know, hey, you, you need treatment. You know, um, a lot of times it's family members. You know, it's gone on for a long time. Uh, the family's just tired of um, enabling them. They're, they're tired of um, wondering if they're gonna come home at night. Um, they're they're fear, fearful that, you know, they're not gonna have their loved one around. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they do kind of a family intervention and just say, hey, you've got to get help. Um, and so I, r roughly with us, probably 60% of um, clients that, that come to us are court ordered. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we see a lot of um, judges that, you know, they mandate that they have to have treatment. Mm -hmm. um, but then a lot of times too, we see people that just say, hey, I've, you know, I've been living this way for 20 years. I've been drinking or, or, or using drugs for 20 years and uh, I've lost my house, I've lost my kids, uh, I've lost my job, uh, and I'm tired of living this way and I want things to be different. Um, and I know that if I don't get help, you know, I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, and they may have, you know, already um, harmed themselves physically, their body's breaking down and uh, they realize that so they reach out for help. What so when someone comes to Chicago, what is that process like? What is the what are the steps when they're there sure. like? Um, we really try to make it as easy as possible for for the person that's needing help. Um, they're able to do a pre-screen admission on our web from our website, um, and or or call in, and we do um, pre-screen over the phone, or they can walk in, come in and do one. Uh, but we have it set up on our website as well, where they can. Uh, complete the, the pre-screen. Uh, our admission counselor calls them back and um, we look to see, you know, how much they're using, how often, when the last time was. Are people pretty honest with that? Um, sometimes. Sometimes they're not. Um, you know, most everyone's scared, you know. Yeah. Going in for, it'd be like going in for surgery, you know, going into treatments for a lot of folks is scary uh, because they know they're fixing to have to to make some big life changes. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are honest and, and some people aren't, uh, but usually within the first week or so, they, you know, they open up a lot more. Um, it, it, it's really hard to do treatment in 28 days. And I think any provider would tell you that. It's hard to, to give them everything that you uh, think they need as far as the tools uh, in 28 days. But um, we do try to make that process easy. 
uh, to get them in. Um, unfortunately, there's, uh, you know, we have a two-week waiting list as of today. Uh, we do treatment in women, um, but we usually stay at least two to three weeks on a waiting list. What are some of those tools you were mentioning? Tools that you give people to help them. Yeah. What are you know? What is a day like there? What are the tools that you're giving these people? Uh, first and foremost is structure, uh, routine, and structure. Uh, we have a really rigid schedule. Uh, there's not a lot of downtime, and and so they get up and uh, first thing we have them do is clean the, their rooms and make their beds, um, which a lot of a lot of folks aren't used to doing, you know, and we want to make sure that uh, we're consistent um, and that we provide structure, a very structured environment for them uh, because that's what they need. And uh, they're in class, um, we're a 12-step program, uh, and so we really take the 12 steps, uh, we break them down for them, and um, over the last couple years we were able to attain a van, 15 passenger van. So we're able to take our clients to outside meetings here in Jackson. And so what that does is for somebody that's never been through treatment, it allows them to go to a meeting and uh, over the course of four weeks to become a little bit more comfortable in, in that setting to where when they get out on their own, they go to a 12-step um, meeting, they're not scared and they're not uh, afraid to speak up and uh, they've already been to them and you know some people when they leave us they already have a sponsor uh, they already have a home group uh, for some of those that stay in the area and we have speakers that come in in the evenings and um, our clients really enjoy that they come in and tell their story um, and what works for them uh, what worked for them um, we do some recreational activities as well with them. Uh, just recently, we took all of our clients to uh, General's game, and uh, you'll be surprised um, that night how many of them came up and said, uh, you know, Barry, this is the first time I've ever, A, been to a baseball game, and B, I've ever had fun without using drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And um, that night was just, uh, just really a special night for them because they saw, you know, it was a good crowd. It was fireworks night, and they saw families having fun, and they were doing so, you know, without having to, to be high or drunk. And um, came back and uh, to work, and you know, just came up and clients coming up, and just really appreciate us being able to go out and, and do that because it's something that I've never experienced. And I think, you know, a lot of times to take that for granted, uh, but. You know, we, we really try to set them up for success. Um, we treat mind, body, and spirit. Um, a, a lot of them, when they come in, they haven't eaten a solid meal in, in weeks. Uh, we have a great dietary department. Uh, they're fed really well. Uh, you'd be surprised how many of them, when they leave, they say, I, I gained 20 pounds while I was here. <laughs> uh, they eat three really good meals a day. And, um, you know, we, we want to set them up for, for success the best way we can. When someone finishes their 28 days, mm -hmm. are they, I don't know, is the word healed? Out? They're, they're, they're not healed. Uh, that's really where the, the journey begins. Uh, and it was just like this morning. I had a lady that's leaving tomorrow, and, and she said, I'm scared. And I said, you know what? 
that's normal. I said, if you weren't scared, I'd be nervous. I'd be, I'd be worried. Um, when they walk out the door is, is really where the, the journey begins for them. Uh, it's really where recovery uh, takes, takes hold, takes root, and uh, they have to start using those tools. Um, and for a lot of them, they're leaving and they're not going back to the same environment they came from. They, they're making changes. And so they may be going to a transitional home, whether it's one of ours or in another city. Um, they may be moving in with a family member that lives somewhere else. And um, that's where uh, they have to lean on their support system uh, and really lean on their, their selves uh, to take, you know, take those steps each day and really take, as we say, take it one day at a time. Is our relapse is something that's common? Relapse is common. Um, you know, nobody wakes up a, a thing like they, like we say and says, hey, today I'm becoming an addict. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, they don't wake up and say, hey, today I'm intentionally going to go relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times life will throw, throw them a curveball. Uh, they'll experience a setback and, um, you know, make a bad decision and, and go out and use. Um, but that's why we really push, you know, getting a good sponsor, uh, going to meetings every day, uh, surrounding yourself with a great uh, social support group. That's really uh, key. That way, if you know you have a craving, you have an urge to use, that you can pick up the phone, uh, or you can stop by your buddy's house and say, or a family member, and say, "Hey, today's really stunk. Here's what's happened. Um, do you mind we sit down and talk about it?" and know just building relationships with other people that are in recovery um, is really huge for for someone it seems to me that you would have to have a lot of grace with people to work in um, this area and I'm I don't like people that much I don't think but how do you guys approach that with so much I mean patience maybe patience is the word grace like what where does that come? How do you do that? I, I attribute one thing being to our staff. We have a really uh, dynamic staff uh, of 35 individuals, 65% of which are in recovery themselves. Mm-hmm. So they know what it's like. They've, they've been, been there. there. Yeah, yeah. They, they've sat in those seats. Uh, they've um, been at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, you know, they've hit rock bottom, so to speak. And... Uh, they know what it's like to burn bridges um, and to have lost it all and um, gone through treatment and, and, and gotten things back slowly over time. And they're giving back to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it does take patience. It does take uh, grace. Um, it takes, you know, a desire to see someone um, walk in um, just in dire straits and a family member loved one kind of at wit's end and kind of walking them over the course of that 28 days to becoming a different individual Mm -hmm. uh, when they walk out that door and um, you'll be amazed at how many of them are just thankful for an opportunity thankful that somebody reached out to them Mm -hmm. 
you know, a lot of times we hear, you know, I hated when I pulled on the parking lot. I hated this place. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to hear anything anybody said. But then I realized that, you know, uh, your staff cared, and they show that care by listening to me when I was um, mad because of um, I didn't get to I didn't get a phone call or I didn't have a great day. But um, they listened to me, and uh, over over the time that I was there, you know, I really grown to to appreciate the the help that you guys have given, and um, you'd be surprised how many people. After 28 days, they, they leave, and after a year, we have this thing. If they, you know, if they have a year of clean time, they can come back, and a, you know, we can look at them potentially coming to work for us. Uh, but they can always come back and be a speaker. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, they do. They come back and share their story, and that's the beautiful thing is hearing somebody who's had a year and slowly started getting life back in order and coming back and sharing that with somebody who was right where they were, you know, a year ago. And uh, a lot of times that's just an um, amazing thing to, to, to see and hear. Uh, two things before we close out. Opioid abuse is going, you said it's had epidemic. Epidemic, yeah. What is, do you know what that, I don't know if there's a, what the definition of epidemic is, but. It just means that it's nationally and on the national level, state level, uh, it, it, it's it's just a huge problem. Um, what are some warning signs that people can look out for for opiate addiction or op- op- opiate abuse in their family members or friends? Um, I think several things you can look out for. You can um, look to see if a person is um, able to follow their daily routine. You know, say they have a steady job um, and um, you start seeing them not going to work. Uh, you start seeing them kind of isolate and withdraw uh, from the family. Uh, you start seeing them um, hitting up several different pharmacies. You might notice, you know, the pharmacy uh, bags, those, those type things, mm-hmm. uh, looking for those prescription bottles. Um, you see them uh, not eating as much. You see them, I really say isolation and, and just removing themselves from a daily routine, a steady routine. Over time, you're eventually going to see that right off, maybe not, but, um, and then you'll just see behavior changes. Um, you'll see the change in, in their attitudes and their behavior. Um, and um, they just can't carry on um, a daily routine. Like, like a normal person would. What are some things that people don't know about addiction that you wish everybody knew? Um, a, that it is a disease. A lot of people don't believe that. They think that someone can just stop. You know, they, why, can, they can ju- why can't they just stop? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we treat addiction as a disease. Um, and I really do wish more people understood that. Um, and that... Um, addicts need love and attention and you know a relationship with other folks that care about them mm-hmm. and for an addict a lot of times that's hard to see when they're in the depth of addiction um, they don't want that but that's really what they need they need to hear um, 
I care about you and I want you to be successful. I want you to um, get the help that you need. Um, and that right now it's just underfunded treatment uh, for people that need help is um, it's just truly underfunded. Uh, one, one Tennessean out of 10 that actually need treatment for substance abuse actually get it. Uh, and I actually posted uh, a story about um, a female in Tennessee on my Facebook page this morning who actually reached out for help on Facebook. Um, had lost, I think, um, a child and her sister and called to get help at a, at a treatment facility. They couldn't get her in, put her on the waiting list. And um, before she could get in, she died. She overdosed. Um, and so I really just, for people to understand that right now, you know, it's, it is an epidemic. And I think if you ask, you know, have 10 people in a room and ask 10, those 10 people, um, raise your hand if you know somebody that, that, that lives with an addiction. It, uh, um, I think probably all 10 hands will go up. So it affects a lot of people. Well, all that being said, Jacoa is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, how can people support Jacoa in their work? Um, in your work, how can you, how can people support Jacoa? Um, there's a bunch of ways. Um, you know, we're we're thankful that we do have some some local uh, partners, donors um, that that help us. Um, you know, most of our funding comes from the, um, the state. Uh, we have a block grant that serves indigent, those that cannot pay for treatment. Uh, but we do take um, donations of clothing, uh, donations for our houses, our men's houses, furniture, clothing. Um, usually around Christmas time we do, um, we do an ask for people to donate uh, gift baskets for our clients so they can have uh, something on Christmas, um, you know, anything people are willing to do, volunteer time. Uh, we, we, we love volunteers. Um, we've had many, many people come in and do um, projects at Chicoa that have just improved our building, which is really old. Um, and so we, we, we value that. Um, come in and, um, you know, paint, do those, those type things. That, that we have periodically, uh, but really just kind of learn more about addiction. I ask people to to uh, do research, and uh, you know we have some information on our website uh, that that talks about our program and some other uh, other resources that are available. Um, but we you know we love when people give give time and um, resources to what we do. Well, Barry, thank you for uh, choosing to make Jackson home and helping to make it a better place. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Today's episode of Our Jackson Home was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Code. To find out more about The Code, visit their website at www.atthecode.com. Find out more about our Jackson home and read more about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.